I'm going to start the same way I did last week and say, good morning, church. That's right. We are the church. We are the church. The church is more than a building. It's more than an idea or concept. It is the people who love God and love each other. We are the church. And last week we talked about expectations. And I I don't know, when I typed that word for the title, and that's why I didn't put it on the sign, because like, ooh, expectations, right? It's one of those words like, oh, it just has this, oh. And we were reminded how our our expectant hope in God and his promises are well-placed. This is different from our common use of the word expectation as something that's placed upon us, right? An obligation, a meet, or, or something that assigned by others to serve as a standard against which we are measured and judged, right? I expect you to do something. The word expectation is often used in phrases such as falling short of expectation and therefore has a negative connotation. Again, our expectant hope in God and his promises is good and have always been and always will be well-placed. And we know that the life that we are called and instructed to lead takes effort on our part, an, an intentional effort. The commandments aren't proposals and God's wisdom isn't mere suggestions. Our effort to abide by his will is a reasonable expectation of God on us, especially in light of all that he has done for us. So I want to take a moment to review the the process of salvation we refer to as the Roman road. On the slide here is the Romans road to salvation. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that says, we are all sinners by nature and by choice. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we received eternal life as a free gift, not because we did anything for it, but it's a gift to us. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us, a sinner, unconditionally. Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So it says we must trust and surrender to Jesus, our Lord. And finally, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our assurance of salvation is through Jesus. Whosoever, that qualifies you. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. The very first step of this Roman road is owning a truth that we don't like to recognize, at least in ourselves. And that is from Romans 23. All have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Other translations use the phrase, fall short. How about a little Greek lesson this morning? The word in the original text of Paul's letter is the word amartia. Put up there. Amartia. That's what it looks like in Greek. Okay? I don't expect you to know that. So I'm going to go ahead and flip it into the main slide, which is the English translation amartia. The picture obviously gives a little bit away of what we're going to talk about. But it's a Greek phrase with an archery term meaning something similar to to miss the mark. As we consider the image of Romans 3.23 passage, it's going to serve as our mental picture of what it means to suffer from this fatal flaw of humanity. And I'll tell you, I had loaded Jacob's um, compound bow into the car this morning to come down. Terry was going to drive and we were still sitting in her car um, because I was going to bring it as a a demonstration of some of the things. She said it would be weird to bring a gun to church. She's almost always right. I'm putting that in the podcast, so I get credit for saying that. But imagine the archer 
wishing to perfectly hit the bullseye in the center of the target. Yet they consistently miss the mark or it falls short altogether. It doesn't even make it the distance. This is the image opposed by the Apostle Paul. We know, thanks to the remainder of the Romans Road verses, that there is hope for salvation even though we all fall short. We are covered by the wonderful gift of grace. Thank God, literally, thank God for that. But we should never settle for a wayward lifestyle or anything less than our intentional effort to hit that mark. So I'd like to take some time this morning to talk about why it is that we miss or fall short of that mark so often. This mark that we are both expected and created to be able to hit. It's easy to picture falling short of a physical target. The arrows are strewn along the ground between the point where you're, you're shooting from and where the target is. You can just see them there that, that they didn't make it. They fell short. And hopefully they're in a relatively straight path because your aim is pretty good. As if they would have made it if you'd simply gone a little further with that arrow. So what causes us to fall short? Is it the target's too far away? Possibly. The distance is too great. Well, fine, fine. I have a solution for that. If you think the problem is that it's too far for us to hit, I have three practical solutions. One is move the target closer. This shouldn't be the problem. Why? Because truth tells us the distance is exactly right as far as it is up to God. Remember, he's the one holding the target and God is always with you. So he can never be too far as far as it's up to him. He says, have I not commanded you? This is what he says to Joshua 1.9. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And this promise also appears in Deuteronomy 31.6 with similar wording. Be strong and courageous. Boy, you're being told that more than once. Must need to be hear it. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And both are God's covenant promises to his people. Jesus promised the same thing when he issued this great commission, right? He ended it with this sentence. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, there's that target right there with it till the very end of the age. So the distance to the target will always be perfect when God is with us because it will never be beyond him. So does it seem like the target is too far? Then we take a look at where you are in relationship with him and, and to him. Even when you start to wander off or turn slightly to a different direction, God is always pursuing you, always has. The Apostle Paul's peace-giving words from Romans 8, 38, 39 says, For I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord. John 10, 28, 29 says, I give them eternal life that they shall never perish. And then it says this, I love this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. You are safe in his good graces. But it's also important to note that God can't forfeit his holiness. So there are places that he simply cannot go. Even if you're there, um, and, and you're, you're desperately calling out, God, I need you. And, and if you're in those places, you do need the Lord. We all do all the time. You definitely need him. But first Habakkuk, uh, the first Testament prophet Habakkuk in 113, he acknowledges the guy. He says, God, your eyes are too pure 
to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And the prophet Isaiah exclaims, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. It's assuring. He says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, that he will not hear. This is not a new problem of humanity. Since creation, we failed and given in a temptation. So God, in his wisdom, sent his son not only as a teacher and a savior, but as an example. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that we do not have a, a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. It is possible. We struggle. We all fall short, but that's not an unreasonable target that God is holding steady for you. And this verse reveals God's recognition of our weaknesses. He says, I, I know, I get it. And so he sent his son despite these weaknesses. And because of these weaknesses, he says, I'm going to send you someone that's going to save you. But don't be deceived. Recognize the distance that exists. God knows there's a distance there. Don't, don't fool yourself and think that there's, there's not. And if you find yourself in one of those places, if you, you check your position in relationship to God and, and there's a gap, then, then move yourself closer to him. That's the second solution. Right? If you can't shorten the distance by moving the target, God's immovable target, then, then get closer to it and shorten the distance. That's not cheating. That's called obedience. Take one step closer. It's more than likely that a turn, and that's the literal translation of the word repent, right? Turn, turn away from your sins, turn toward God, and then a single step is all you need. Max Lucado had that quote that I love, right? If you're 10,000 steps away from God, He'll take the 9,999. You just have to take the one. It's right there. James 4, 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Right? He doesn't even say, I'll meet you in the middle. He says, come near to me. I'll I'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Okay, it sounds, but, but it, this is a cleansing process. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up, right? That's why a prayer of confession is so therapeutic, so cleansing. Lord, I need you. I've wronged you. I've done this wrong. He says, I've got you. Repeatedly, God advises us to repent for our sins, to, to turn away from them and turn towards him. But there is a scenario where he expressly says, don't just turn, run. He says, flee, actually. Flee sins of sexual immorality. He knows those are tough ones. But continuing the archer metaphor of falling short, I mentioned that there were three solutions. Move the target closer to you. Move yourself closer to the target. And the final is to add more power, effort, right? If I had the, I almost got a Nerf gun, but we're getting ready to pack the house. And she says, don't buy any more stuff. Right? <laughs> it's not funny. She actually said that. <laughs> and I said, put putting my stuff in the trash then and we'll talk. But, um, but you know, Nerf guns, right? You don't have enough power and boop, right? Down it goes. That's much safer than bringing a, a bow and arrow into church, I'm, I'm told. But, but so we, we apply more effort. If we're honest, this is where I believe most of us really make the mistakes that cause us to fall 
short, right? We know the target, right? God has said what it is we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. So we know the target. We know what it takes, right? Prayer, good decisions, spending time in God's word, practicing the virtues of kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, self-control, all these wonderful things that we know what we're supposed to be doing. This is the target. So if we're falling short, we're simply not putting in the effort required to reach that. I don't know about you, but I think this is more often where I miss in my efforts. I do this more than the aim, right? I know I should be nice. I should be kind. I should be whatever. And I'm mostly nice, mostly kind, right? But I don't hit the target. So add more power to your efforts by engaging in healthy spiritual practices. How's your prayer life? How's your Bible study? Are you doing one at home? Are are you taking advantage of the opportunities we freely offer here? Are you doing something online or or elsewhere? Be engaged. Are you opening God's word with any kind of intention or are you relying on others to feed you one hour each week? I put this in here and this is supposed to be the dialogue I had with Sherry and and I said, would you just read this message before I go since you're not going with me to be my my, my check and balances? And I was going to ask her, how many calories does the average person need a day? And she says that varies, but if you look at the side of any box, it kind of says 2,000 calorie diet. That's very, very vague, but 2,000 calories, let's call that our magic number. But couldn't I, in theory, on a very gluttonous and wonderful day, (laughs) eat 14,000 calories? It'd be good for the week, right? Shouldn't that work, right? I just load up 14,000 calories. You could probably do it in two meals some places. It's not what it takes. It's regular intentional intake that sustains us. We never were intended to cram all of our Christianity into 75 minutes each Sunday morning. Open the book of Acts or any of the epistles written to the early church and see how the early Christians, the church, they got together regularly. They worshiped regularly. They shared things regularly. They had fellowship regularly. It's not just about cramming yourself into church and, and trying to get it all in. It's about living that life in between your Christianity requirements every single day. Beyond your own efforts, use the gifts that God has given you. Discover and engage the skills you've been given, and you have them. Sharpen ones you lack through study and practice and partner with someone that, that, that may be better in those areas, and you know what I'm talking about. You've got those friends or, or your spouse or whatever that, that compliments you with an E, right? They compliment you. They complete you. You're, they're, they're that good balance. So, so where I lack in, in this, she might be better than that. Where I lack in this, my friend might be better than that. And my little men's accountability group that's been meeting forever on, on Tuesday mornings for breakfast, we're good that way because we all think differently. We, we come at things from a different angle. And we certainly don't always agree on everything. But it's so good to have those dialogues around the table and, and hear those skills like, my friend Tim, love him like a brother. Love him like a brother. Very analytical, very logical thinker. Not a people person, you know? And so it's hard for him to, when he has issues with human interaction and, and, and relationship, that really shuts him down because it makes him uncomfortable. And so that's where I can shine. But, but sometimes I need to put on the brakes and it's not all about enthusiasm. Let's go get him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's think about the plan. And he's good at being that balance for me. And Sherry and I do the same thing in a lot of ways. You know, so there's people in your life, and if there's a skill you've got, sharpen it. If there's one you need more work, sharpen it a little more. And if it's something you, you struggle with, partner with someone to be that. That's what I love about our Bible studies and discussions, the different angles we bring to things. 
So develop more strength by continuing your effort and learning, right? Practice. Paul repeatedly encouraged us not to become weary, not to give up, and to finish the race. Even during the challenge of this life, we were told to allow the trial to do its work to sharpen our skills, to develop perseverance within us, and to foster our spiritual growth. There's purpose in the struggles we face. And never forget to invoke the helper. And I mean the helper with capital H that God has provided. The Holy Spirit and the power of the blood of Jesus. God wants you to succeed. You're not in this alone. God wants you to succeed. Scripture says that he's patient with us. And, and during this process, he will wait for us to, to learn what we need to learn. Let's not let him down by withholding our efforts, by just giving him a half-hearted effort. So those are solutions for falling short, right? We move the target closer, we move ourselves to it, and we add more power. Probably the latter is what, what I would think most of us need to do, certainly what I need to do. But what about when we just miss altogether, right? Do you know the target? Can you clearly see and understand what it is you're aiming for? Or have you let the busyness and noise of the world distract you? This happens. When you take aim, what do you do, right? You close one eye, you focus your mind, your vision, and you breathe, and you take the shot. You pull the trigger, you release the arrow, whatever it may be, right? Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your graze directly before you. Talked a little bit about that this morning with, with drawing a straight line. I like that example. If you draw a straight line, the best you can do is put a ruler and like, not as straight as I thought it was, right? What is the ruler you're using for your aim? American minister John MacArthur is credited with was saying this. It says, the more you focus on yourself, the more distracted you'll be from the proper path. The more you know him and commune with him, the more the spirit will make you like him. The more you are like him, the better you will understand his utter sufficiency for all of life's difficulties. And that is the only way to know real satisfaction. And I would interject the word peace. But this comes with some warnings as well. Don't let the noise of the world keep you from hearing the voice of the Lord. Another one. If the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. And if the enemy can distract you from your time alone with God, then he will isolate you from the help that comes from God alone. Think about that. Do you want to be kind of whittled away just very subtly with just the busyness of, of things that might be otherwise really good? When the enemy sends distractions, they never look like distractions until they're finished distracting you. You say, whoa. It's been a long time since I prayed. I've been really busy with good things. It's been a long time since I read the word. It's been a long time since I checked on someone, you know, to see how they're doing. Even good things become distractions from what you should be aiming at at a given moment. Consider the story of Mary and Martha. And I won't get too far in it, but if you look at Luke 10, 38 through 42, it's Mary and Martha, right? And I'll just remind you that and I, I won't tell you who, so you can do your own reading. But Jesus went to their house. And one of them was, was being a good hostess, right? Doing good things, making sure it's taking care of this food, everything that needed to be done. And the other one simply sat at his feet and listened. There's a message in there of how the good things, the right and proper things at the right time are wonderful, but there might be a time for a different priority. Don't let good intentions and good things distract you from the really, really good thing that might be right there in front of you. 
Fill your mind with what is good and admirable and pure and true and let the seeds of the word fall on fertile, uncluttered soil. Get the weeds out of there, the rocks out of there, whatever it may be, so that these moments, these opportunities will get in there and take hold. And when you take aim, squeeze, don't pull. Anybody ever shot and they, they always instruct you, right? Squeeze, don't pull the trigger. You pull the trigger and what happens? You know, you end up jerking it. Or, or the other thing is let, let it surprise you. You ever heard that? Let it surprise you, right? Because you, you cringe. Like here comes the bang. Here comes the arrow coming off. Uh, you cringe and, and it affects things. Let it surprise you. So spiritually, I'm going to say don't go into your Christian life with this expectation of what you will hear or learn or God will do. Okay? Just go that you will know that you will hear or learn or God will do something. Let the message, let the miracle surprise you, right? Just expect one, not necessarily the one, just expect one. Instructor Miles say proper hand placement will prevent damage, right? You'll hold a pistol at the wrong time. One time, takes the skin off your knuckle or you scrape an arrow, you know, feather right along your wrist. Proper tools and proper training avoid unintentional pain, right? Know the Bible, use scripture in love. That's a commandment. Know the verses. Ask yourself the questions. If, if the way you're hearing this verse read to you or spoken to you or, or the way you're reading yourself, is it in alignment with what I know about God and his character? You see, even Satan is familiar with scripture and, and will twist it to use it to dissuade you. Are you prepared? I mean, Jesus himself faced this challenge more than once and he responded with the same scripture in truth. 1 Timothy 3, 6 warns of struggles for new converts. He's talking about elders and deacons and those in leadership and says it really shouldn't be someone that's really new. Not because they're not passionate or on fire, but they're not really fully equipped quite yet, but they've got the tools. Just need a little more practice. We've got the tools, guys. Sometimes we need a little more practice. You need to be familiar so you know what the character is, so you can weigh right and wrong. What's God's judgment and what's our human opinion? So we can vet these, these subtle and these sneaky attacks. So how do you do this? You study, you learn, you know, and then you go, right? Don't keep it to yourself once you're ready. The enemy will tell you not to impose your faith on others. God expressly instructs you to do it. And he backs up with rationale for, of your equipping and promises things for those who will do this, you know? Don't miss an opportunity. Likewise, believe wholeheartedly in the message of the power of God's word. Because Ephesians 14 speaks of those darkened in their understanding, separated from the life because of the ignorance that is in them, to the hardening of their hearts, right? God, your first prayer when you open the Bible is, let me hear what you want me to hear. Let me know what you want me to know. We're gonna start on Wednesday, Proverbs. There's some good stuff in Proverbs. But sometimes it's the word themselves are puzzling, right? We're gonna we're gonna dig into a little bit and say, why does it mean that? What is it saying? And when we're aiming at this target that we're expected to hit, there's no cheating on this mission. Okay? Psalm 139.14 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Okay? It's a net positive. Yeah, unless you got some, some stuff up here you shouldn't. He says, You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Uh-oh. <laughs> You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. 
That's encouraging. But also remember that God knows your heart. So these same, these same things that we, that we worry about, God knows them already. He says, I don't take that from you. These same bad thoughts that even if we kind of keep them to ourselves, I didn't, I didn't tell that person what I was thinking of them. It's still on your tongue and God knows it. So this has got to be a real genuine effort that goes deep down. Numbers 32, 23 speaks about sinning against the Lord um, and that we may be sure that our sin will find us out. Okay? There's no excuse. The expectation that you can and you will hit the target. God has equipped you and is intended for you to do it. You just by loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is that effort. Just to be clear, hitting the target isn't just about being perfect, right? That's the goal, right? Bullseye every time. But it's about following the commandments. If you're following the commandments, if you're living this good Christian life, you're aiming properly. And then just work on that effort. Let's get that all the way to that target. In Luke 15, 10, we hear Jesus share this joy, this rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner repents. That, my friends, is hitting the target, Right? Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And in his first slide of the early church in Thessalonica, Paul urged them, he says, to, to don't be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, alert, ready to go. Remember how I greeted you this morning? I said, good morning, church. And you replied, good morning, because you know that we are the church. So this challenge isn't just for us individually, although we each have our individual part, but also for us collectively as a church. I want to share a commentary that I read this week. It's called The Marks of a Great Christian Church. So think for a moment, what is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is the Great Commission. Remember what that means, co-mission, right? We're partnering in this mission. That is our mission. Any church that is structured with the Great Commission in mind will become a great church. But listen to this brief quote. We have structured too many churches for the sake and comfort of those who already are Christians and are attending them, rather than for the sake of those who are unchurched. Church members without question assume that the church exists to meet their needs, and they therefore structure their programs and build their facilities with that in mind. Ah, I think we do a pretty good job, but I don't think we should ever stop thinking of that. Right? The service, the building, everything we do should be about the person who walks in. Okay? Not just taking care of ourselves, but taking care of the world. And then he continues, says, Is this true? Are we missing the mark in our churches? What makes a Christian church great? It's not a large physical building, but it's Christian conduct. It's not high tech programs for every age group, but honoring the gospel. It's not a leader with a charismatic personality, but standing fast with courage and fearlessness. Proclaiming the gospel to all. Hold me accountable to speak words of truth, even if they're a little bit convicting. Because I tell you, I, there's nothing that I say that I don't need to hear myself. So when I say all oh, fallen short, I'm not saying all. Oh, I'm saying this guy has fallen short. And I'll be very honest with you. Sometimes it is my effort. You know, shame on me if it's, if it's my knowledge because I know better. But, but it's my effort that I need to improve. So how do we know if we're missing the mark? Ask yourself if we're focusing on the wrong target, right? Do we tell more people about where we ate lunch or our hobbies or our interests than where we go to church, right? Do, do people know what I had for dinner last night and they don't know why I have hope? 
for the reason I got out of bed this morning. You know, do our friends know what we watch? Because we talk about the shows we're streaming and binging and all that, which is fine. But they know more about that than where we stand on faith issues. You know, are we asking people to, to, to help us do something that might otherwise be good, but we don't lift a muscle to save their souls? There's work to be done that starts right here in these pews that we are expected to perform. You know, do we invite more people to parties and, and to events than we do into a relationship with Jesus? And, and I, I intentionally didn't say into church, right? Because it's great to get people here, but we get people here or another church because we want them connected with God. And this is where we have chosen to do that. There might be a place better suited for them to do that. But that's the invitation, right? Can I introduce you to some hope? <coughs> let's not be the person that focuses on the wrong things. Let's, let's not be that church. Let's be a great church. Let's be a great Christian. Let's be ardent advocates for those in need. And let's be the enthusiastic hands and feet and voice of the good news that needs to be shared with all. And remember, all means all. Let's take careful aim. Let's give proper focus and offer appropriate effort and succeed where God has told us we need to be winning because he is cheering for us. And when we hit that mark, whether it's a, a perfect choice or, or one that we failed it, but we repented, we picked up the arrow and carried it the rest of the way in and we repented, Jesus says they're celebrating for that. Let's make that our prayer. Would you join me, please? Heavenly Father, you've given us all the tools we need. You've perfectly equipped us. You hold a steady target and you say, here's what you need to do to be saved, to be, to be good as you define it. And that's not a moving target. It's not a hidden target. It is not a tiny target, but it is a very specific target. So Lord, if we are falling short, help us to move closer to aim better, to know what it is we're aiming, to know the tools we're using to live that life. And Lord, when we just flat out miss, Lord, convict our hearts. Help us to recognize that, to be kinder to a person, to be more accepting of a person, to, to look for and take advantage of opportunities, to serve others in need, to affirm those who don't have a current need to share the good news of the gospel that is for all people, for all time. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as I close the service, we just want to thank you for the gifts that you've given us, the talents, the abilities, this wonderful building to meet in where we can gather on Sunday and come together and worship and pray and hear your word and get motivated to go out and do the rest of the mission, which may start here, but does not end here. So Lord, would you empower us? Would you, would you just give us that courage that you tell us that you have designed us to have because you're going with us to do this mission? Lord, we thank you. And if that mission needs to be internal, if we need to take a little bit easier on ourselves and straighten out some details in ourselves, we know you'll work there too. So we thank you for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the cross, all that means to us, and, and certainly all the cheering going on in heaven every time we do something right. It is so wonderful to have you on our side. More importantly, Lord, it's so much 
more wonderful will be on yours. We thank you for that. It's in your son's name we pray.